Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Down to verses 28 through 34. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We're in a series on the miracles of Jesus. As we come to these miracles, we're finding that each one of them is so different. Oh, yes, there's a certain supernatural thing that Christ does. That's a common denominator. But the circumstances are so different. Here's another one that's perplexing, as well as most miracles. There's something about it, but particularly here in this text are some baffling things, some strange things. But it provides a demonstration of the influence of the power of evil in our world and the necessary evil uh, influence to overcome that evil. So we're going to look at three things, and I've got a nice alliteration here. Possession, power, and perspective. So we're going to begin with the possession, namely the possession by demons. Let me read to you verses 28 through 31. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. Behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Stop right there for the moment. Probably now it's daylight after this incident of Jesus calming the storm in the previous context. His popularity has continued to grow. And now he is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. If you could think of a map for a moment, you've got the Sea of Galilee up to the north. Jordan River comes down like this. Here is Israel. Here's Palestine over here. And over here is the land of the Gadarenes, or Gadara, the city of Gadara, in the area of Decapolis. We are now in Corvallis, Oregon. Jesus was in Gadara, Decapolis. It was a Gentile area, non-Jewish area primarily, primarily Gentile in its uh, makeup. And we are introduced to two demon-possessed men. Now, if you look at the parallel accounts, you will find in Mark 5 and Luke 8, they speak of just one man. Here is Matthew speaking of two. So is this an error in God's Word? Is this an error in the Bible that we don't have the right numbers? Not necessarily. Certainly we can come up with an answer on this one. Suppose I were to tell you, um, I met... Uh, my good friend Frank Miller the other day, hadn't seen him for a long time. It was good to meet him again. So I tell that to you. What I didn't tell you was that his wife was with him. But I wasn't, I didn't know her. I knew Frank. And so I met him. So I just tell you about him. And so Matt, Mark, and Luke, they focused on the one, one particular man. But Matthew talks about two of them who experienced this miracle that was to be done. They were demon-possessed men. The Greek is daimonizomenoi, demoniacs. That condition in which one or more demons inhabit and gain control over a human being. Now in 20, 
20, what are we going to do with this? Do we believe in that kind of stuff? Well, Jesus himself speaks of demons as persons, as realities, not merely a disordered intellect. Uh, they are subjects of an alien spiritual power. We know power is the, the evil one, the devil, Satan. Um, if there are no such things as demons, then Jesus was really duped. And you kind of wonder if you can even believe what he says, if demons are not real, because certainly the implication is that they are very real. It's not mere physical oppression by a disease, although that's true, nor a purely psychic oppression in this passage, but kind of a combination of both, to the body and to the soul, the inner, inner part of these individuals were under this influence of these evil spirits. In Jesus' ministry, and I think I mentioned this one of the first times in the series, demons were especially strong. The work of Satan was especially strong in the ministry of Christ for good reason. I mean, he was about ready to secure salvation for his people. That's the last thing that the devil wanted. And so they're very much prevalent in Christ's ministry. That whole period was the hour of darkness. Jesus said uh, that this is Satan's great hour right now, even as he is going to his great hour to deliver people from that darkness. Um, just a passing word here. Uh, I haven't studied the subject of demons exhaustively, but uh, my understanding is that in Christianized nations, such as the United States, there's not too much evidence of this. But I certainly have heard many people who have been involved in this kind of thing in foreign lands. And uh, not that it couldn't happen here, but this is usually where you think of it. And some terrible things done under the influence that can only be ascribed to, to demons to false spirits that are infiltrating the person or persons there. So uh, demons are still around. Let's not think of it just in Jesus' day. Some of these demons had attached themselves to these men almost like wild animals, fastening upon their prey and tearing their flesh and drinking their blood. I mean, that's kind of the opinion uh, is given here. They just took over these guys in such a terrible way. Um, and Jesus met them coming out of the tombs. By the way, in Gadara, archaeologists have been covered. Even today, there are caves and recesses in the side of the hill, which were used for tombs. And there's also, as we'll see in just a moment, a steep hill going down to the Sea of Galilee. That is still in evidence today. And so these demons, these demon-possessed men were <coughs> excuse me, coming out of the tombs. Um, literally and religiously unclean places. From the religious standpoint, you don't want to get too close to these guys. Don't think of modern ceremonies where they're not nice man to catch your lawns and little garden beds and things like that. Uh, these tombs were very, very uh, terrible places. But they provided shelter for bodies that were buried and put in, inside there. Interesting that Matthew tells us at the end of verse 28, so fierce that no one could pass that way. I couldn't think of a human illustration, but I can think of a cat illustration. Uh, I once stayed many years ago with an OPC minister, and uh, I was down in the basement, and there's this female cat that was about ready to deliver her kittens. And she was very protective. There was a little stairwell going, going up from where I was, and I was scared to death to try to get by. This cat was right near there. And boy, she, she snarled and everything, very fierce looking. So I just stayed, finally I had to yell, Roger, come here, I can't get up the stairs. <laughs> he ran and took care of it. 
So I know the feeling, at least, that you don't want to get too close to somebody that's very fierce. And in demon possession, people can just lose themselves and just do all kinds of terrible things. And that's what the situation was with, with these guys. Um, Matthew alone relates this fact, although Mark and Luke describe their violence even a little bit more fully. In Luke 8, 27, they had worn no clothes, had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. That was their home in the tombs. So we see here the ultimate result of sin. Thankfully, sin doesn't get exhibited this much in our society. We're very thankful that we live in a country where you don't have this kind of thing going on all the time. Um, but uh, these were pitiable human wrecks, uh, far from what God had in mind when they were made in his own image. Verse 29, And behold, remember I pointed out when we talked about the raising of the, of the widow's son, these two processions were coming, one was coming out of the city with the body of the young man, and then Jesus and the crowd were coming this way. And at that point, uh, we're told by Luke, and behold, in other words, stop for a moment, put it on pause, take a look what's happening here. And so that's what we're being told to do here by Matthew. And behold, look what happens. They cried out. And what they, they say is, is kind of unusual. You wouldn't think demons would be saying this. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Wow. They recognize who Jesus is. Even other people, especially the Jews, not to mention Gentiles in Jesus' day, they didn't acknowledge that. And even in our day, people don't acknowledge that Jesus was the eternal Son of God. But here they are acknowledging that. When they say, what have you to do with us? Probably it's like this. Why are you bothering us? Why are you bothering us? And Bible scholars seem to think that they were actually taking the personality and voice of these men and actually speaking through them with their questions and their comments here. But isn't that an interesting testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ by, of all people, these demon-possessed guys? Mark even reports that one of them ran and fell down before him. Reminding us of Philippians 2.10, One day every tongue shall, shall say that Jesus is the Christ, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confessed that Jesus is the Christ there. And this man at least did that much. He respected this evil demon, shall I say, he did that. Have you come here to torment us before the time? How interesting. They were acknowledged a time when there was going to be a complete victory of the kingdom of light over the kingdom of darkness. That what they represented one day would be destroyed. They were aware of that. Yet they sensed correctly that Christ was about to interrupt this plan in some way. And so they ask here, have you come before the time? We are aware of the time is coming of judgment for us. But you are here. You're going to do something now. Why are you doing this? What's, what is happening here? Um, it's interesting that their theology was correct, O Son of God, and their eschatology was correct. Eschatology had to do with the doctrine of last things. And there certainly is a coming last time when the Satan and his uh, demons will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. The judgment will come. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6.3 tells us that we will judge angels. I would understand that we are going to judge the, the evil, disobedient angels in some way. 
So they were aware of that. Mark and Luke also tell us that after their questions, Jesus asked a question of his own. What is your name? To which they replied, Legion, for we are many. Doesn't say how many. The many demons had entered. There were many lords over these poor men who were under the influence of this demon possession. Now, in verses 30 and 31, we see this possession takes a particular interesting turn here. It turns not the right word, but an incident. Reference is made to a herd of many pigs in verse 30, feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, Well, if you're going to cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. How strange. Why would the demons make a request like that? Why would the demons say, well, look, Jesus, if you're going to cast us out, at least you could do it. At least send us into those pigs over there. It's how strange. Here's some, positive, some possible answers to that. One, they simply had a sinister yearning to destroy. That's the way they are, destroy human beings, and why not destroy pigs? Their own evil delusions for whatever delusion they might have of what was going on and what they expected to happen. They determined to do that. Evil often contradicts and eventually destroys itself. So they're actually doing kind of self-destruction without perhaps realizing it. Perhaps at least they could stir up animosity by the Gentiles against Jesus. By destroying this herd of pigs, that might get the Gentiles upset. At least they'd accomplish, accomplish that. And finally, I have down here other unknown reasons. We're not really sure <coughs> what prompted them to do that. What a strange, strange action to, to ask Jesus to do. So that's the possession part of our text. As we come to verse 32, we have the power, the second P. And this, of course, is the power of Christ himself. And he said to them, go. One word, go. And that one word was a command and a giving permission really, for them to do that. And they were powerless to disobey them, disobey him. Because we read that, so they came out, went to the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank. Remember I told you about that steep bank that's still around today in Gadara, down to the Sea of Galilee, and drowned in the waters. Now, with such extremely strong, evil, angelic beings, there had to be some kind of an amazing power to make them to do that, to send them into this herd of pigs. And Jesus did it with just one word. Go. In effect, do it. I'm going to cast you out. Go into the pigs. And what a sight that must have been when suddenly, and Mark tells us, there were 2,000 of these animals into which the evil spirits entered. That's a lot of pigs, 2,000. And you can imagine people around there, especially the herdsmen taking care of them, all of a sudden this large number of pigs begin to scream and yell and snort and whatever they do, and they all started heading down the steep cliff going into the Sea of Galilee, and they were drowned. 
I saw a documentary uh, a couple of years ago about lemmings. We're familiar with lemmings, and they get this, this reason, built-in instinct, at certain times to just rush down a cliff and, and go into the water and perish. And it actually showed these, these animals. So I felt really sorry for them, just charging down this hill right into the water there and, and in effect committing suicide. Something about the, the lemmings that uh, caused them to do that. Well, that's kind of the picture we have here, these pigs running down into the, into the uh, sea. But wait just a minute here. Why would Jesus permit something like that to happen? What right did he have to inflict the owner of those pigs upon those animals? Couldn't he have done something else? Couldn't he have said, well, I'll, I'll send you into, a, you're two of you, I'll send you into two, each of, you have a pig. Or, tell you what, I'll give you each two pigs. <laughs> Why 2,000 pigs? Why do that? First of all, keep in mind that the demons were driven out of the men by Jesus, permitted to go in the animals, but it was the herd itself that rushed down to the sea. Jesus wasn't pushing them down there. He did that on their own. Secondly, of course, with the demonic influence there, men are no more of more value than pigs. Such animals were created for man's use and consumption. Those pigs probably were, were condemned to slaughter anyway. That's another way to look at it. And I think especially he wanted the Gentiles to make a choice that would be coming up here between him and their worldly gain, these pigs, especially the herdsmen who were taking care of them. I think it was necessary for the permanent healing of these men, giving them graphic outward evidence and testimony that they were indeed free from that bondage. You see, when, the, when they left these two men and went over to the pigs, suddenly these men are there, no longer demonic influenced. And you can imagine their thoughts and their feelings when they looked around and they realized how blessed they were to have had that happen to them. The fierceness and violence of the demons was now transferred to the, the pigs. And then another consideration, Jesus was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Certainly he can do whatever he determines to be done, and we know it's going to be done for a proper reason, even though we may not know who it is. We can ask the same question, why does disease happen? Why do accidents happen? This automobile accident, why did that happen? Why am I sick? Why did this happen? Well, it's all part of God's sovereign plan, and we don't understand all the, we don't have all the answers. And same way here in this passage, I'm not sure I can adequately answer all that's involved here. It's such a strange, strange thing. But in case you're missing it, don't forget the primary point of the passage. Doesn't have to do with the right to raise or eat pigs. It's not giving us the relative value of pigs to human beings. It's not dealing with that at all. It's demonstrating Christ's authority and power over Satan and his force. This was Satan's hour. Strong demonic influence in Jesus' public ministry. And now Jesus comes across this incident with it. And with just one word, he solves the problem and performs this amazing miracle regarding the freedom of the men and then the pigs being, uh, being sent to the sea. So the third P is the perspective of the people, their response to what happened. Verse 33, the first thing we notice, the herdsmen fled. 
And they saw what happened. You can just imagine, I mean, what, what even happened? How did it happen? This is terrible. Especially if they knew they had to report to their boss about the loss of 2,000 of the pigs of the herd. And so all they could think of was just get out of here. We don't know what has happened, but something terrible has happened to us. And so they fled. But that's not the end of their story. They fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So apparently, before they fled, they had a chance to see these two guys, and they'd never seen them looking like that before. They were, seemed to be normal. They seemed to be sane. Everything seemed to be okay. So they saw that, the incident with the pigs, and they just said, hey, let's get out of here. They probably had to go tell their master, but we don't read about that. But they did go into the city, and they said, you should have seen what happened. You can't believe it. They told what happened about the pigs. They told about these two men. And so what was the, the response there? Verse 34, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. Now, this is all the city. doesn't mean every single person, but certainly a large number of people from Gadara came out to see what had happened. Um, once again, Matthew wants us to pause and focus upon this part of the scene. There's that word behold again, verse 34. And behold, as if Matthew is saying, now, I've told you about this incident, the demon possession, the pigs, and so on, but now here's the thing I really want you to understand. Behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they saw also the man clothed in the right uh, frame of mind. And uh, so what are they going to do? Are they going to fall down before Jesus and say, truly you're the Son of God? Uh, how, did, how did you do this? Can somebody tell us what happened? No, the text ends, when they saw him, Jesus, they begged him to leave their region. Another interesting thing that surprises us, we haven't seen this before, we would expect they would give Jesus a parade, they'd invite him into the city, tell us how you did that. Can you tell us a little bit more how who you are? We've heard about you, but uh, we're over here on the, in the boondocks here, over in Decapolis. We don't know what's been going on over there in Palestine, where you're from. What, what happened here? You tell us. Who are you? That was not their concern. They were concerned more about what he had done than either the pigs or the two men. The biggest issue for them was Christ himself. They did not even give him the reluctant reverence shown by the demons. At least the demons said, Oh, thou son of God. And as Matthew or Luke tells us, one of them fell down before him. At least they did that. But these people don't seem to be the least bit interested in finding out really who he was and what he had done, whether it was good or not. They were resentful. They were angry. Luke tells us they were seized with great fear. They were scared of Jesus. Who is this man? One who could control demons and animals and restore shattered minds to sanity. They didn't want anything to do with that. Something spooky is going on here. We don't like it. They didn't feel the presence of God's holiness. It only reminded them probably of their own sins and their own difficulties that they had in their life. When unholy men come face to face with the holy God, they're terrified. Isaiah, woe is me, for I've seen the glory of the Lord. We're told in uh, Luke 5, the incident of 
casting the net over the fish over the sea and brought in a large number of fish. And Peter fell down before the Lord. He was seized, he was fearful. He couldn't believe what he had just witnessed, this wonderful miracle performed there. In our day, how many people are there who say, I'm not interested in Jesus, I'm not interested in the Bible, I'm not interested in God. I just want, if there is a God, I want him to leave me alone. I want the church to leave me alone. And I want, I not only want to do it, I want him to do it. So it's a fair trade. He leaves me alone, I'll leave him alone. Don't want anything to do with him. And that seemed to have been the attitude of the people here in Gadara. It's remarkable. But surely this account reminds us of the ruinous power of moral evil. This is very graphic. It's it's very unusual in our society, at least in America, for something like this to happen. But back in those days, during Jesus' ministry, this is one incident. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the historical reality of it. Sin brutalizes and destroys uh, mankind. Again, Romans chapter 1. But Jesus' power is greater than that, even overcoming sinners like us. We were born in sin, uh, depending on what time of uh, your conversion was, whether it happened early in your life or later in your life. You know, it was the power of God that uh, that did that and gave you the ability to uh, reach out and trust in, in Christ. We're also reminded that the devil came, that he came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. That was why he came, and one part of why he came, to destroy the works of the devil. He delivers from physical diseases, that's true, but he also delivers from our sin. It's nice to have physical healing, but it's best to have Spiritual healing, is it not? For Christ to redeem the earth and reverse the curse, he would have to have total power over Satan and his demon host, and that's what's on display here in our text. Colossians 2.7, He disarmed the rulers of authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. But don't miss the the marvelous... uh, opportunity that the Gadarenes, the people of Gadara, missed on this day. Remember, they were Gentiles, largely, outside the people of God over in Palestine. And uh, here is Jesus giving them opportunity to talk to him, to learn about him, and they said, we want you gone. We're not the least bit interested at all. Um, So it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you still have to come by faith and humility before the Lord. So this is a very strange uh, text. I'm not an expert, like I said, on demonology, but uh, I do believe demons are real, and they have done terrible things, and probably still in some places of the world, even as we sit here, uh, as missionaries and even non-Christian explorers tell us, some of the terrible things that go on some of the terrible religious practices that are involved. Certainly we have to ask, well, what, why is it so strong in these places? The gospel hasn't got there yet. They're still in spirit, great spiritual darkness, and they need the Lord. Let me close with this familiar, these familiar words from Martin Luther. 
<clears throat> and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fill him. On that day in our text, Jesus spoke one little word to those demons. Go. And it was powerful enough to perform what happened here, free these men from their bondage, give them new lease on life. One little word is all it took. Join me in prayer. Father, we are grateful that our Savior is strong and powerful, that he gives us strength and power to do things that otherwise we would be unable to do in our own strength. How we need him, how we need the resources of the spiritual armor that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6 to withstand the assaults of the evil one. Lord, as we leave here tonight and we go through this week, we may not face demons as we think of them, but we know that the devil is out. He's active. He's causing all kinds of difficulties and tragedies in our world. But we know that Jesus is stronger, that he who gave Satan, the death blow on Calvary, one day will return in full power and glory and remove all the effects of sin from your people. And so we rest in that. We thank you that you love us and care for us. And we commit ourselves into your hands for another week ahead of us. Grateful for your continuing presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.